Quick disclaimer, although what we say is evidence and literature-based, we don't know your personal details and situation. Therefore, make sure you're discussing these things with your doctor. Welcome to the CPR for Life podcast. I'm Sagar Doshi, and this is Zachar Moses. So, in this latest installment, we will continue to talk about sleep. And I'm starting to think, actually, that maybe we should move on to other topics besides sleep before we turn into a purely sleep-related podcast. I think we're getting there. It was like sleep and COVID for a little bit. Yeah, it was briefly. Let's talk about sleep and how it relates to stress. And maybe we can start shifting into other topics, too. But right now, let's just keep talking about sleep. You guys might have noticed sleep and stress are related. Have you found that to be true? Yeah, it's a chip shot. I mean, I, I can't, everybody knows that. And I, I feel pretty confident in saying everybody knows that. <laughs> all right. All right, good. We can move on then. Well, one of the questions you might ask is, all right, so what is exactly stress? If we want to study something, if we want to look at something, we should always know exactly what we're trying to describe. And so it's in a physical, it's an emotional response that's affected by a few things. It can be affected by what the stressor is, how we interpret it, and then what our body does or the physiology that comes as a consequence of those two things, right? Because in our bodies, what usually happens with a stressor is first, there's an alarm state, there's an alert that's sent out, and then either after some time we return to normal or we just keep going with it until we are exhausted. So acute stress can actually be helpful sometimes. Acute stress usually will just last maybe a few hours or maybe a few days, but um, they can actually be associated with things like increased NK cell response or increased immune function in that limited setting and just increased performance. Like when you have to run from a lion. Like when you have to run from the lion. Absolutely. I don't. Just a totally random example off the top of my head. <laughs> Never heard it before. <laughs> I'm surprised that we're not having become completely afraid of all lions in all forms right now. <laughs> How often we talk about the lion. So, yes, the lion. But also with more modern day stuff, like, you know, you're walking down a dark alley, you hear something suspicious, you're on high alert. You're trying to get out mm -hmm. of that dark alley, right? Or hopefully not. But if there's actually an assault that happens, if you end up in a fight, you get really ramped up and you try to get the heck out of there. Yeah. But there are other things that people go through on a routine basis that can be completely stress-inducing. And that's things like having to perform on the field if you're an athlete, having to perform on the stage if you're giving a presentation, or maybe you're an actor, something like that. That can be very stress-inducing, and you could interpret that in various ways. You can interpret that as being, all right, I'm excited. We're going to do this. Or you can interpret that as being, this is the worst thing I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I'm very scared. I'm going to leave. So mm -hmm. <laughs> there are other ways of interpreting it. And that actually affects um, how your body is going to continue to respond from that point. But if it's a chronic stress, that's just uniformly harmful. Yeah. If you're always living with that. So it ends up contributing to things like digestive problems, headaches. There's even kinds of asthma that have to do with this, depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, Memory deficits, dementia, suppressed immune response, yada, yada, on and on. And we can get more into 
stress in general in later episodes, but let's just kind of look in on the stress and sleep aspect and angle right now. Because remember, stress's response, its job is to keep us awake. As we talked about before, awake and asleep, mutually exclusive. You can't do both. So you're going to be staying awake if you're stressed out. This ends up just screwing things up. You end up having trouble being asleep, getting to sleep. And then once you're actually in the sleep itself, it's messed up. And because the sleep itself is screwed up, you end up getting more stressed. Because one of sleep's jobs is to help unstress you. So if you screw up the thing that's supposed to unstress you, you're going to have more stress. So it leads to insomnia, whether it's acute stress, and then it just lasts a few days, and most of the time you recover from that well. But if it's chronic stress and you get chronic insomnia, now that's where you start accumulating health impacts. And insomnia, by the way, is just trouble getting to sleep and having excess sleepiness throughout the day. And then kind of mixed in that is trouble with sleep maintenance, which is trouble staying asleep. This is where you wake up once, twice, three times, whoever, however many times it is. And maybe you can fall back asleep. Maybe you can't. So either it's uh, fragmented sleep because it's broken up or it's just really shortened because now you can't get back to sleep. And then once you are actually sleeping, when you're stressed out, you end up having things that mess up both your REM sleep and your non-REM sleep. So REM sleep is rapid eye movement sleep. That's where most dreaming happens. That's also where our fear extinguishing happens. That's where we can get over things that have happened in that day that have led to us feeling really anxious and scared. And then that's also where we can be more creative. But then when we look at deep sleep or slow wave sleep, non-REM sleep, these are, I'm lumping them all together, but that helps our physical body um, recover. And that actually overall makes us less reactive to stress the following day. So if we lose that slow wave sleep, then when any little stressor happens the following day, we're going to overreact instead of just kind of being able to ride that wave. And it can also, as long as we're listing things that happens from stress, cause teeth grinding or bruxism as it's known. And this is a big problem yeah, for people. That, that's what I get when I get stressed. Yeah? It's the first thing. That, yeah. And I actually, I don't really notice it and like Nina doesn't notice it or anything, but I know because I wake up in the morning and I have bad temporal headaches. And I'm sure that's because I'm grinding my teeth. So I, I figured that out, I don't know, probably two years ago uh, that I was like, oh, when I am really stressed, I have headaches in the morning that are temporal. And uh, I'm sure that's because I'm grinding my teeth. So whatever, you know, that's my that's my <laughs> issue. <laughs> so did you leave it at that or did you uh, address it in some way? So, so I have retainers that I wear that I'm supposed to wear every once in a while ever since I've worn braces. Um, so wearing those actually helps. So I, sometimes if I'm feeling stressed, I'll just wear them more frequently, even though I'm supposed to wear them, you know, four or five nights a week anyway. I don't care. I probably don't do quite as much as I'm supposed to with that. But um, yeah, if I wear those, it actually gets better. What okay, I really so need to do is just address the root cause. But if I don't address the root cause, I'll just put the Band-Aid on. <laughs> but only some of the time. <laughs> only some of the time. Yeah, that's correct. I'm really good at this. <laughs> Your teeth are in trouble. No. Maybe this is why you guys laugh so much while you're... T- Brushing your teeth. Maybe. But the thing is, I don't... see inside your mouth. I don't get that stressed that often, though. So it's... Like, I don't do this routinely. This is an uncommon Mm -hmm. thing. So at least I don't think I get stressed that easily. I don't know. What... I don't... I don't grind... I don't stress myself so often that I'm grinding my teeth frequently. Let's put it that way. 
Okay. Are you able to tell when you're stressed? Most of the time, no. But I can usually figure it out when I'm like when I wake up with headaches and I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I have had a lot going on lately. But if something's going on that's stressing me out, I'm usually, I don't want to say oblivious to it, but I'm just like, ah, I can handle that, whatever, I'm okay. And then eventually I'll start doing that and I'm recognizing that I need to do something about it. Nina usually recognizes before I do. <laughs> so you use your physical state yeah. to tell if you're stressed. Yeah. And then you respond to that physical state. Yeah. I'm just curious. Because, yeah, sometimes people know ahead of time that, oh, man, I feel stressed. Other times, you don't know till you look in the mirror or you feel your head and you put things together. Yeah, it usually takes me some time. I'm not very uh, intuitive, it appears. <laughs> I think your patients would disagree with you. I think Nina <laughs> actually disagreed with you on that point in the past. But she has, yes. I'll go with it. So let's look at one of the mechanisms by which stress can actually cause messed up sleep. One way is that this excess stress, this excess stimulation can suppress some of the inflammatory messengers that are supposed to stimulate sleep, specifically some cytokines, which are little chemical signals like interleukin-1-beta or TNF-alpha. These things are supposed to stimulate non-REM sleep or slow-wave sleep. And if you are suppressing those things, you're going to end up with less of that kind of sleep. Now, there are other interleukins and other things like insulin growth factor that on their own, when they are present, just suppress sleep. And so if those get too high, you'll get less sleep. Cortisol is a big hormone that's in the body that helps in the, it's one of the key things that's involved in the sleep-wake cycle. And it's supposed to be low in the evening until morning then it's just going to rise to wake you up, and then it's going to drift off back in a downward direction for the most part. But if your cortisol is staying elevated, if you never drop it far enough, you're going to wake up earlier, which means less sleep. And then like we talked about, sleep loss in itself will cause more stress. And if you look at these sleep deprivation studies, uh, rather consistently, after sleep deprivation, you end up with higher cortisol levels, higher subjective stress levels, and both are significantly up after just a night of sleep deprivation, whether it's a whole night or it's just an interrupted, fragmented, or shortened night. And surprisingly, the difference seems to be bigger in older adults. And usually you end up hearing and reading in various articles that actually older adults can tolerate sleep loss better, whatever the reason may be. But in this case, in this article um, that I saw, the older adults were actually had a greater increase in their perceived stress. So just interesting to note, older adults do still need sleep. Even yes, though, yes, yeah, it seems your grandpa's waking up at four in the morning, still needs sleep. They're also going to bed at 7 p.m. So <laughs> this is why the uh, the early bird dinner special exists. Is that what it's called? That's I think that's what it's called, right? I think, I don't know, I, having never experienced one that I'm aware of, I, it's hard for me to speak with any... Uh, you're a 90-year-old man incarnate, so... I am, that's true, but physically <laughs> I'm still younger than that, but you're correct, yes, my attitudes probably do match more of a 90-year-old. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I should be able to ask you about this then. You would think. <laughs> Unfortunately, your body is still that of a much, much younger person. I'll have to wait for I, it to I, catch up. You think that's unfortunate. I'm still, I'm going to go with fortunately. My body's still. <laughs> <laughs> so 
In order to talk about this uh, stress level and sleep, though, I think we should talk about the HPA axis and how that relates to cortisol. And just to put that out there, that's the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the adrenal axis. They're not actually parts of our body that are connected in a direct line, but they work as if they were in a direct line. And the end result is essentially more cortisol that's getting released. And what should be happening is that you get too much cortisol. That should be a negative feedback loop. Unfortunately, there's another system called the limbic system that can get involved with this as well and turn that response to feedback off. It's as if the thermostat in your house uh, had the thermometer taken out. So normally you have a thermostat, the air conditioning's on, it drops the temperature to a certain level, and then the thermometer senses it and it turns off the cold air from coming out. But if somebody takes out the temperature sensor, which I will call a thermometer, then suddenly this machine does not know when it's gotten cold enough and it'll just keep churning and churning out cold air until you're left with Zach's house. Oh, just kept it a, zing. A balmy 40 degrees at all times. <laughs> now, some of the stuff that you might read if you're looking at this, you might hear from some places that actually sleep doesn't do this. And there's a little bit of controversy and it gets into the methods of how these studies are being done. Um, some studies are going to show with sleep deprivation, less cortisol in the morning, more cortisol at night. Others just lower cortisol overall, which is surprising. And then others higher overall, which makes intuitive sense. And then if you take that aside and you say, okay, this might be related to how they're doing their studies. How are people being kept awake? Are they being kept awake in a very calm way? Are they being kept awake in a very stressful way? As I was going through this, it seemed to be kind of a difference in human versus rodent studies or human versus animal studies. And in the human studies, there was more of a consistency in overall raised cortisol and other signs of extra stress, such as um, higher perceived stress scales, higher heart rates or lower heart rate variability, uh, higher blood pressure, stuff like that. And then when you look at the animal studies, you get mixed results. And I think some of that has to do with how they're keeping the animals awake, because that's usually with stressful events, be it fear, pain, forced movement, um, like an exercise wheel, or just having to keep walking, otherwise you get dumped in water, or other things that can screw up measuring stress and then blaming it on sleep. If you're forcing someone or an animal to stay awake with something stressful, how are you going to know what the heck is due to stress? Uh, how are you going to know what's due to sleep? It's a great point. So I don't really know. But if we merge reading the articles with living life, I think we can all pretty much agree that less sleep means more stress. Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption. If we know that, if we go ahead and accept this vicious cycle of extra stress means less sleep, which means more stress, which means less sleep, or the vicious cycle of less sleep means more stress, which means less sleep means more stress, then we got to break that cycle. We got to do something that can help us get out of it because we can't function like that. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to crash cars. Dangerous things are going to happen. And so there's some unhelpful ways. And I think it's pretty well known what those unhelpful ways are that people do to help themselves cope with this. Can you think of any? Yeah. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is alcohol. There you go. Um, to sleep. I mean, you could also do things like, you know, then when you're tired, then you take a bunch of stimulants to wake up. Mm-hmm. 
Um, what else? Those are probably the two big ones, or substances, I guess. Yeah, right? You just try to use some sort of substances to help you get to sleep. For example, alcohol. And like we talked about last time, I think it was last time, alcohol does not lead to good sleep. And so you have actually screwed up your sleep there again, enforcing the vicious cycle, which means you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to need your caffeine, be it a cup of coffee or a pot of coffee or two pots, (laughs) which is very strange. But I've met people that tell me they've drinking, they routinely drink two pots of coffee a day. Yeah. They're not doing well. They don't end up in the emergency department for good reasons. But there's also stuff that we might not think about. There's also how we respond to that lack of sleep. And we can respond with anxiety. And then you end up worrying about sleep. Just the act of potentially going to sleep can make a person very worried, very anxious, very fearful. There are people that walk into their bedroom and suddenly their heart starts racing because they start thinking, oh, crap. I've got to go to sleep. I'm not going to be able to go to sleep. My day tomorrow is ruined. I have this presentation in the morning. I got to do this thing in the morning. Oh, this is never going to work. And so they spend all night not sleeping because they're worried about not sleeping. Yeah, the perform. I mean, it's the same thing as performance anxiety with anything. If you've got a you know a presentation that you worry about or public speaking or whatever, you just get this idea that you're going to be bad at it or it's going to be difficult. or And then imagine now you do that for you know, a year or two, and then every single night you go to bed is basically a stress test because you're panicked about it. Yeah. Yeah. And now you become even worse at it and you reinforce your bad behavior or your bad outcome, I should say. And then you just becomes a, more of a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, yeah, that's tough. That's a really tough one to break. Mm-hmm. And that's where cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia comes in. That's where you really got to make those behavioral changes to force yourself to do the right behavioral things so that you can start sleeping and start overcoming that anxiety. But this is this is one of the key reasons that clonopin or other benzodiazepines, other medicines that break anxiety are one of the key medicines that are given out for insomnia. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it happens to also make for not great sleep, but you right. could easily argue better to have bad sleep than no sleep. <laughs> right. And then well, we'll save this argument for another time, but you could also argue that that medicine isn't really helping people sleep much longer to begin with. Yes. I think you definitely make that argument. Yeah. I'm going to make that argument. Done. <laughs> and then you also can do other behavioral things like, all right, I didn't sleep last night. I don't have to be anywhere for the next few hours. So I'm just going to stay in this bed this morning and force myself to go to sleep instead of waking up and getting up. I'm already awake, but I'm not going to get out of this bed for at least two hours because I'm going to try and sleep. And then you end up creating a whole different schedule for yourself. You end up really just screwing up your circadian rhythms because your body and brain are trying to figure out, today am I supposed to be awake at this hour or asleep at this hour? And that variability is no good. So what is helpful? Well, I said bodies are are creatures of habit. I mean... As much as you might like the variance in your in your daily routine, your biology really doesn't. Yeah. Your biology loves homeostasis. Your biology loves yes. to return to normal. Yes. <laughs> Every now and then, okay, we'll go do something stressful. Okay, we'll go be out here in this other zone of discomfort. That's fine, but let's get it back to normal. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> it's good to be uncomfortable at some times. 
as long as we bring it back to normal. And the problem is people are just being led down a path of, all right, we're out here with this bad effect and behavior, for example, doing things that lead to less sleep. And now, instead of coming back to normal in these behavioral ways, we screw it up even more. Mm -hmm. More caffeine, more alcohol, more dragons. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It makes you feel good at the time, right? Yeah. I think dragon is possibly an energy drink name I made up, but it sounded right at the time. I don't know that one. I was just assuming that I wasn't exactly, you know, privy to that information, but it, it certainly sounds made up. Yeah. All right. I think I made it up. There are other healthy ways, though, that we could alter our sleep to try and get it back to normal. And mainly, they're behavioral, for example. Having a consistent schedule, which we've talked about. Managing light in the ways that we've talked about. Exercising routinely at the same time of day so your body knows what's coming and when. Maybe not exactly what your routine is, but when it's coming so we can deal with it. And not doing it a few hours before bedtime. Mm -hmm. Relaxation routines. And maybe some other time we'll talk about the literature around uh, non-sleep, deep rest in a way that's different than meditation. And also mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Overall decreasing our reactivity, our anxiety levels, you know, cleaning that slate, letting our bodies come back to normal so that we can sleep. I think that's really one of the keys. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that there's, there's a, very profitable industry based on basically mindfulness for sleeping. I mean, there are apps you can get for this that are designed specifically for that. I think because people are realizing that the literature for this is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I thought you were going the other way, which was there's a very profitable market out there for sleeping pills, which... Oh, there's also a <laughs> profitable market for that too, but that's just because people want quick fixes for things that aren't quite as easy to fix as you might imagine. But yeah, I mean, you think about the sleep training stuff, it's not easy. You know, I, I've, mm-hmm. Nina's done some of that stuff and I've watched her do it. And it's not like, you know, like it takes work. It's not just something that you just watch a video and you're like, oh, I'll sleep better now. Like you really have to do train yourself. And that's what mindfulness basically is. But it works. Yeah. It's the same thing with, for example, exercise, right? Mm-hmm. You can't do 10 push-ups and expect to look like Arnold. It's just not going to happen, <laughs> right? I could do it a thousand pushups every day and I'm still not going to look like Arnold, but it's going to take a lot of work to make progress and gains. But I mean, to sum it up, we can't really control what else is going on in the world besides us. We're the only thing under our own control. You know, I remember the story of my aunt when I was a kid, I was visiting my aunt and her family and it was a high stress household high-performing and uh, professional. And I remember being in the room as she sat her kids down around her and told her the negative effects of stress and how it was impacting her health and then told them they were all the cause of it and they should act better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just... <laughs> Pro- at, at the time, not. I was real little and I said, oh, wow. And then looking back <laughs> on it many years later, I'm just thinking, that's not going to work. no it won't it's just not the answer it was a good try yeah (laughs) I guess so I feel like she was smart enough to know that 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 just wasn't going to (laughs) work 
I don't know what she was thinking, but it's always easier to try and have somebody else do the work. She was probably she's probably stressed and sleep deprived. That's probably why she said that. She was making a she probably you know wasn't thinking about it very clearly. That is 100% true. I'm sure that's actually a really big reason for it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So just to sum things up, stress and sleep go hand in hand. If you can address your stress and turn your chronic stress to just bouts of acute stress, that's a lot better for your health and it's going to be a lot better for your sleep. If you're able to get consistent good sleep, that's a lot better for your stress and overall just really much better for your health. Some of the ways we can do this are going to be with relaxation techniques, but even better than that, going more to the root of how we interpret that stress. And that's where things like mindfulness come in. Zach, remind people about our mindfulness training, CPR for the mind. So we're doing a course. uh, There's two branches of this course. There's a self-directed course, uh, and there is a course where you go through the class, the same exact thing as a self-directed, and then you would uh, have meetings with us, basically. Uh, and we're going to have a group together to kind of learn how to become mindful, to share our experiences. Both include a workbook that you can work through, learn the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, you and I lead those videos, of course. And then uh, if you want to do the directed class, the one with us, every two weeks you'd meet with us and we would talk about it and how to further apply those to your life. It follows the same principles we're talking about. It will help you with being present and understanding stress and how you react to it and how to tailor your response to not be so uh, charged and prone to stress and going on with this podcast help you sleep better among many other things so uh, check it out it's uh, it's at our website cprhealthclinic.com slash mindfulness yeah look into the details of it and if you're looking looking like you're gonna get some benefit from it sign up all right that sums it up for us for today hope you all take care out there and remember The way you live can save your life.